Hey everyone, Pastor Kevin, listen, today I have a word from the Lord that I believe is going to be a blessing to your life, strengthen you in your journey. All of us need a shot in the arm in our faith, and I believe that word today is going to do that. Take the next few minutes, spread the word, tell your friends and family this message is coming on. I'm believing it's gonna change our lives, and I want you to hang on till the end. I'm gonna come back and pray for your needs, and I believe God's gonna touch today. Let's jump into this word and be blessed. I'll be back soon. Just for a few minutes today, I want to talk about um, I want to talk about Israel, past, present, and future. Um, and I want to talk about it. And I don't want to be political. I, I don't need to be. This is not about. Uh, this is. I, I just have to tell you, I've I have been overwhelmed and astounded at the biblical ignorance of people who claim to be Christians. And a lot of them are preachers. I am not the sum total of wisdom. I don't have the total monopoly on revelation, but the Bible says some things rather clearly. Where the Bible says things rather clearly, you should thank God for the clarity and not add to it to confuse it. You should, you should be able to accept it with some clarity. And just for a few moments today, I, I wanted to talk about the moment we're living in because there's this hijacking that happens in every situation. I don't know if you put this together. There's a hijacking that happens and a spirit of division that comes on the body of Christ when an important situation begins to rise in our nation. And you get these two parties, both within the church, and they fight with one, and over, uh, with one another over what's right. You can't even have something as simple as a truth about uh, a male and female marriage without having a fight over it. Now, somebody's wrong. I'm not going to get no help today. I should have released all y'all and preached this to myself. Somebody's wrong. Now, the Bible is right. But in all these issues and situations where people are saying stuff that's garbage, somebody is wrong. And today, I didn't come to talk about who and what is wrong as much as I did come to talk about who and what is right. God is right. The Bible is right. And we're not going to align ourselves under pressure to line up with the things of this world and this culture. You and I are going to align our families and our life by the truth of God's Word. That is where your protection is. That is where your blessing is. And family, that is where your peace emerges from. Proper alignment with the Word of God. So hear the Word of the Lord. Genesis 17 verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, how many know that's old? I mean, it's getting up there at least. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make, a, I will make my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be a father of many nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you, somebody say after you. After you in their generations, for this is an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and your descendants after you. Now look at this next verse. Because this next verse helps us understand the reason for the conflict, as Devin said a few moments ago. There is a conflict going on over a piece of property. But the piece of property is really a promise. And the battle is over a promise. And I rise to preach this today not so that I can be maligned as some sort of, I've been accused this past week of idolizing Israel. Nothing could be further from the truth. Israel is a stiff-necked, rebellious people who need Jesus to save them. And yet as they wait on their salvation, they remain the apple of his eye. The next verse is significant. I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And that's it for me. It's the only reason we're praying for Israel. It's the only reason we stand with Israel. Because God has unfinished business with her. And if he will disregard his promise to Abraham and cast Israel off because of her rebellion, then it would cause me to question him keeping me because I have been unfaithful Israel myself. Oh, you're looking holy and pious today, but you're gonna get thankful one day for grace that is greater than all your sin. And while you are becoming what he sees you already to be, why, you may not be what you're going to be, but you are sure enough not who you used to be. And aren't you thankful for his faithfulness in your unfaithfulness? Jesus, help me. Amen. You can be seated. So I, I just, I don't know that I've ever been inundated as I was this past week with people asking me for theological insight or answers to questions that they're struggling with regarding this entire issue of Israel and what's going on uh, and the stuff that people are hearing. It, it is truly demonic, family, to see the division and all of the ideas that are surfacing that I think are fighting for the attention of people in the kingdom of God and they want us to somehow uh, evolve. I'm hearing that, that that, you know, our theology is evolving. Um, I certainly am aware that revelation comes in our journey that brings us out of a measure of darkness into greater light. How many are thankful that you're in greater light today than you were when you started in the journey? Amen. But there are some presuppositions regarding the Word of God. There are some understandings that we have of the Word of God that I'm not looking or anticipating evolution in. And it's not because I don't have margin to grow. It's because God has made things abundantly clear. And sometimes because they are so clear, the enemy seeks to warp those things, contaminate the purity and the clarity with which God spoke and bring us into a place of confusion. 
The stuff that I'm seeing going on in the church and the fighting, the infighting, and the tribalism is bananas. It's not healthy. And regarding the nation of Israel and its place in the heart of God and its place in the past, present, and future, I just think it's significant that you know I've been doing this as your pastor for 22 years. I don't know that I've ever taught you about a national sort of identity that God gave Israel and where Israel come from and why that's even important to us in our Christianity. But the more I thought on it this week and the more I observed the division and the confusion and the chaos that so many people have uh, just embraced in the last couple of weeks and the panic, the sheer panic, people who are just People who say they're saved, but they're having nervous breakdown about Armageddon and the end of time and all. Listen, I just want to tell somebody, Jesus is coming, but you need to have peace. I mean, Paul did not say in 1 Thessalonians, torment one another with these words. He said, comfort one another with these words. There's something about the truth that doesn't bring me torment. It brings you and I comfort. Can you say amen? Israel was not an entity. It wasn't like God created Israel when he created the world. In Genesis chapter one, he created the world. The Bible says that um, God created the heavens and the earth, land and water. And then about Genesis 12, out of all the people that came from the loins of Adam and Eve and humanity, there was a man who was not Israel, who was living in the Ur of the Chaldees, and God went and unsolicitedly tapped Abram on the shoulder and said, you get out of your land and come follow me, and I will show you a place that I'm going to give you, and I will make you a nation. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And in your loins and among those who are born from you, they will be as the sand of the sea. I will make you a father of many nations. And you know the story, this Chaldean man who did not know God, yet became a friend of God, packed up his whole house, loaded up his whole family, got every flock, put everything together, and as a caravan of obedience, left the land of his father, Terah, and went to a land who had a foundation whose builder and maker was God. He didn't even know where he was going. He had nothing to put in his GPS. He simply loaded up and began to walk by faith and follow the voice of God. God said, I will show you a land and make you a land. And that man, Abram, God made him a promise as Devin read about in Genesis chapter 16. God made him a promise God said, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to give you seed, and your seed will be the inheritor of all that I am promising to you. And you know the story. Abram does not have patience. He does not have the kind of level of trust and the timing of God and the faithfulness of God. So he goes into Sarah's concubine and he takes Hagar at the admonition of his wife Sarah, which is bizarre to me how that ever happened. I don't understand. Sarah says, here's my concubine. Go and have intimate relations with her and we'll get this party that God promised us started and they created a significant issue between the flesh and the spirit. Isaac was the seed of promise. Hagar and Abraham come together and they produce the seed of the flesh. 
which was an Ishmael. And it's not just in that generation, it's perpetuated in Abraham's lineage. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even Jacob has to deal with Esau. There's always this conflict going on. And you know the story, Jacob has 12 sons and they go into Egypt and they go into Egypt as a family. And while they are in Egypt as a family, they experience the favor of Egypt because of the relationship, the special and unique unique relationship that Joseph had with Pharaoh. But when you flip from the last book of uh, Genesis and you flip to the first chapter of Exodus, it says that there arose a Pharaoh over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Suddenly this family of Jacob uh, doesn't have the favor in Egypt that they had had historically. And now you have a new leader over Egypt who treats Jacob's seed and thus Abraham's seed uh, horribly. And they become slaves in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years living in Egypt and yet their great-great-grandpa Abraham was a patriarch of faith who God had made a promise. This land will be yours in perpetuity. It is your land forever and your descendants, it belongs to them. This is a land promise that is everlasting. I didn't say that, the Bible called that. They go into Egypt for 400 years as a family And one night, God taps the shoulder of a man named Moses who was on the backside of a Midianite sheep field and he says to that man, Moses, you rise and go to Pharaoh and tell him that I said, let my people go that they may serve me. They've been in Egypt for 400 years, but they are people of promise and I'm tired of watching them build the kingdom of Egypt when they've got a kingdom to build themselves. Moses rises and goes to Pharaoh's presence. Let my people go. You know the story. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He would not listen to God. He rebels and resists, and God sends 10 plagues. And I will expedite this today by telling you that the last one was the plague of the slaying of the firstborn. We call it the Passover on this side, but on the other side, God was getting rid of the future enemy of Israel. I'm going to walk around and teach you. When God slew the firstborn of Egypt, people said, oh, that's merciless. What a horrible God. It's horrible unless you're a Jew who's living in Egyptian bondage. And every time Egypt has another son, it means that their future of slavery is only more empowered. So what did God do? God said, I'm going to put some blood. I want you to put the blood over the doorpost. And when the death angel sees the blood, the death angel will pass over you. But I will take care of your future adversaries and oppressors. In one night, God spared Israel and he canceled the enemy and he slew all of the future slave owners of Egypt. Because when you have what belongs to God, the quicker you release it, the better off you'll be. Egypt had Israel for 400 years. God brings them out. When they went into Egypt, they were a family. When they came out of Egypt, they were a nation. There wasn't just a handful of Jacob's sons. There was millions of them. God, how many know that if God be for you, who can be against you? Put them 
in Egypt and there was a handful of them. 400 years of oppression and every time the enemy put another layer of oppression on them, another grace of multiplication came upon Israel and they didn't come out the family they went in. 400 years of slavery and when they come out, the devil wished he never messed with them in the first place. And where did he send them? Where did he send them? I'm taking you to Canaan. Why Canaan? Because I made your great, great, great grandpa a promise that you would inherit the promised land. Now, you know they took a 40, uh, 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 a couple of day journey and they turned it into a 40 year wilderness. And an entire generation fell dead in the wilderness because of their rebellion, their stiff neck, and their unbelief. God raised up a new generation with a new leader. Moses passes off the scene. The older generation dies. Uh, To the the podium steps a man named Joshua who becomes a warrior. And that young generation went into the promised land, and I preached it to you a few weeks ago. It started at a place called Jericho, a fortified city in the promised land that they marched around for six days. And on the seventh day, they marched seven times. And on the seventh time, they shouted aloud and they blew trumpets and walls fell down and the people of God walked into the promised land and began to possess the promise of Abraham. And if you read the Old Testament, you will find a people who are cyclical. There's a routine. There's this pattern that emerges in the old covenant. A faithful God and an unfaithful people. Prophetic voices, repentance, they come back to God and then they wander away from God again. It happens all through the Old Testament. Today, I want to be clear to you when we talk about Israel, we are not talking about a bunch of people who have all their spiritual act together. Say amen. I'm not here to idolize Israel and tell you they are perfect. The Bible is full. It doesn't sanitize their journey. It doesn't perfect them in their process. In fact, it reveals to to, to you and I a very unfaithful people. They are the ones that killed the prophets. The Bible calls them a stiff-necked generation. When, uh, When Stephen preaches, he doesn't say, oh, you're so wonderful. He says, you killed the prophets and you slew the Messiah. I'm not here today to tell you Israel's perfect. I've been accused this week of sanitizing Israel. No one can sanitize the history of spiritual failure revealed from Genesis to Malachi. Up, down. Some of y'all don't like this. You think he shouldn't say that about Israel. You should be real. They're not going to get saved because they are Abraham's flesh. They're going to get saved because they're going to confess Christ. If they don't get, if they don't do that, you're not ever going to be saved. Because there is no other name under heaven given them. I need some Pentecostal help here. And there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. You will not stand before a thrice holy God and say, let me into heaven because I am, I have Jewish blood in my veins. It's not about the Jewish blood in their veins that make them born again. It is about the blood of a Jewish man who was the Lamb of God and his blood 
the uttermost. The Old Testament reveals this. It's, it's why you find in 1 Kings 18 a man named Elijah who has to call fire down from heaven and slew the false prophets. Rain begins to fall. Renewal begins to hit Israel. Why did they have to be renewed? Because they had wandered away from the, from the altar of Jehovah and had bowed their knee and kissed the Asher poles of Baal. Idolatry had permeated and saturated the land, and it goes like that. Read the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own sight. And it goes like this all the way through the Old Testament. Victory, defeat. Victory, defeat. Faithfulness, unfaithfulness. And yet, it crescendos, and God raises up a group of prophets, namely Jeremiah and Isaiah, and he goes and he sends them to the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and he says to Abraham's seed, repent, get your heart right, you're living in sin, you've, you've corrupted your ways, get your heart right, get your heart right. And what do they do when the prophet says, repent? They harden their heart, they sin deeper, they reject him more, and he begins to move from calling them to repentance to promising them a warning. Babylon will come in. A nation will walk in and take your children. The prophets begin to prophesy about a raising of the ground, a destruction of the city, an emaciation of a way of life. The people of God are getting ready to go into, listen, captivity. And for 70 years, because they rejected God and his prophets, and they kept saying, we're going to live our way, we're going to have our own gods, and essentially what they said is, we don't need you, Abba. And God loves them too much to allow them to continue in this train of living. So what happens? Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon walk into Jerusalem, raise the city to the ground, destroy their way of life, and Josephus says he drags them through the streets of Jerusalem back to Babylon where they lived for 70 years. They lived in Babylon for 70 years, exiled. It's why the psalmist said, we sat by the rivers of Babylon and we hung our harps on willow trees and our tongue clave to the roof of our mouth and we didn't sing songs of Israel anymore. We were living in a strange land. 70 years they lived in Babylon until God stirred the heart of a king and said to a man who was the cupbearer, Nehemiah is his name, Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost on me now. Nehemiah got stirred up under the anointing of God. And God favored Nehemiah. God favored a priest uh, named Ezra. God favored a governor named Zerubbabel. And these men and women of God who have been removed from their land. For 70 years they've lived in another land. And they go back home. And they began to rebuild their way of life. And what is the first thing they did? They built an altar and they began to rebuild a temple. They broke out the word of the Lord. They hadn't heard the reading of the word of God. Ezra stands up and begins to read the word of the Lord. And the men, the strong men of Jerusalem, began to fall down in reverence to the word of the Lord as they rebuilt their way of life in their land. 
And who but Sanballat and Tobiah stand there mocking Israel as they attempt to come back to their home. They attempt to rebuild what was destroyed. They attempt to rebuild the temple. They attempt to rebuild their homes and their way of life and they're now back in Israel and yet they've got this opposition from people who don't like them. And they mock Nehemiah and say, if a fox ran on top of this wall, the wall would crumble. And Nehemiah and his group are up there working. And you know the story, Nehemiah. They say, come down here, Nehemiah. Let's talk about this. And Nehemiah was a bad man. He had a sword on one hip and a hammer on the other. I want to tell you, he knew it was time to work. But when the enemy showed up, he knew it was time to fight. Now, I want to say this to this wussified generation of limp-wristed Christians that are rising up in, the, in our nation that say, it's oh kumbaya, hold my hand. Everybody's saved. Everybody is not saved. There are spiritual enemies, and if you don't identify them properly, they will not just want to cohabitate. They want everything you've got. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We're all singing kumbaya, and they're trying to indoctrinate the minds of our children and tell them it was Adam and Steve, and everybody can change their identity, and there's no absolute truth. The devil is a liar. You better make up your mind. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Please sit down. I'm not going to get militant. They rebuilt their families, their homes, their lives, the temple. And you flip from Malachi to Matthew and Jesus is born into a very unique Jerusalem. It is under Roman rule. That's why we have Herod in place. That's why we have Pontius Pilate's name mentioned. These are all Roman players and characters. When Jesus was born, he was born into Roman oppression. It stayed that way. The 33 years of his life, it stayed that way. And one day he was talking to his disciples and they said, look at the temple, Jesus, isn't it wonderful? And everything gets real serious. All of a sudden he says, there'll come a day when not one stone is laying on top of another of this temple. Why? Because they rejected God. Their Pharisees and Sadducees had become so corrupt and so polluted. It become religion and there was no relationship with God. And in 70 AD, Rome entered Jerusalem and burnt the temple to the ground. Destroyed the, the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the Jewish way of life. And for hundreds of years, history reveals after Rome destroyed Jerusalem that Jerusalem, for a couple of centuries, had more Christians than it did Jews. And you have this unique combination uh, for seven or 800 years in Jerusalem where you had Christians and Muslims fighting over the same land. It's where we get the whole piece about the Crusades. It stayed that way until the 15th century when Turkish leaders went into the city of Jerusalem and again they overtook it and established the Ottoman Empire in Jerusalem. 
The Ottoman Empire was a group of Arabian leaders and Turkish leaders, and for 400 years, from 1517 until 1918, Jerusalem sat under the leadership of the Ottoman Empire. When Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem in the first century, listen to this. Many of you don't know this, but I challenge you to go read history and stop listening to these knotheads on nightly news who are getting paid to divide this nation. And I'm going to go one step further. Remind me where I was. I'm going to go one step further. I'm tired of pulpit pimps who make a living on dividing the body of Christ and feeding us a bunch of hate when we are children of the light, salt and light. That is who we are. We don't sow hate. We sow love. Where was I? Ottoman Empire. Ottoman Empire, 400 years of it until 1917 when the Queen's army marched from Britain, overthrew the Ottoman Empire, took possession of Jerusalem, and about the same time there began to emerge cries from the Jewish people. Mm, let me go back. When Rome destroyed Jerusalem, Many of you don't know this, but 97,000 Jews were sold into slavery. The other group were dispersed, and Titus, the leader of the Roman Empire, gave them permission. If they were not sold into slavery, he gave them permission to flee and go to whatever part of the world they wanted to live in, which is why some Jews ended up in Ethiopia. Some Jews ended up in Germany. It's called the Diaspora the spreading of the Jews all over the nations of the earth. You have a very small group of Jews who remained in Jerusalem after Rome destroyed it. You have another 97,000, almost 100,000 Jews who were sold into slavery as servants. And it lived that way. For 1,500 years till the Ottoman Empire come in and it stayed that way under Turkish control for 400 years until Great Britain came in and freed Jerusalem. And suddenly in 1897, if you want some dates, write these down. In 1897, the first Zionist Congress convened. And a Jew from Germany, whose last name is Herzl, he gathers these leaders together from the Jewish community and he says, it's time for us to go back home. 1897. You know what else I find interesting is around the same turn of the same century, when God begins to give voice to the Jewish people for restoration of their land and restoration of their nation, it's about the same time when a young lady in a Bible class in Topeka, Kansas, gets fed up with religion, walks into her teacher's room and says, I want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost of Acts. And they say, we don't do that here. And they had a prayer meeting. And the young lady was, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's the same time when a blind son of a slave who is told to sit outside the class because the color of his skin did not let him come in. His name is William Seymour. Whew. Blind in an eye, but got vision beyond himself. And he says, I want 
the Holy Ghost and they didn't let him come into class because he was an African-American young man and the color of his skin didn't allow him to sit with the white kids. He stood out and heard the teaching of the Holy Ghost, got so full of the Holy Ghost that he ran back to San Francisco. I'm expediting the story, but he would not even stand. He was so humble and broken. They said he would bow down behind the milk crate and preach. He didn't want to be seen, but he had touched God and something happened at the turn of the 19th century. God was fed up with the church lying in religious dearth and religious death and a young lady and an African American son of a slave got hungry for God. Are you listening to what I'm telling you? The devil wants us to think we can't live with each other. I came to announce we can't live without each other. We need each other to be everything God called us to be. Israel gets hungry for God. Israel gets hungry to return to its land, I should say. I'm going to give you a Bible for this in a moment. At the same time, the church gets hungry for the things of the Holy Ghost. Revival breaks out at Azusa. Out of the Azusa revival comes almost every major Pentecostal church that exists on the world today. It happened at the same time. Why is that significant? Because Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says this, repent and be, be converted that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It will come from Jesus himself who heaven must retain until the restoration, say restoration, restoration of all things. This is Acts 3, 19 through 21. Watch this. Jesus is in heaven. Heaven is holding him back until the restoration of all things. What's the restoration of all things? Well, are you talking about a Jew or the church? Because to the Jew, restoration has to do with the land. To the church, restoration has to do with spiritual identity. At the turn of the 19th century, both had lost their identity, but both were ready to get it back. I wish I had some help. I wish somebody was tracking with me right now. If you want to know how to get to restoration, you first got to have refreshing. You can't have restoration with a dead, dried up church. But if you want refreshing, you got to first repent. Get your mind right. Get converted. Get your mind delivered from sinful patterns. If you will repent, I will refresh you. A refreshed people are positioned for restoration. At the turn of the century, people began to cry out for God and God began to restore the church. Israel began to cry out for its land and God started putting the pieces together. I'm almost done. I've taken more time than I promised you. In 1918, Ottoman Empire overthrown. And in 1948, a treaty was signed. It was unthinkable that a nation would be born in a day. Holy Ghost. But there's a reason why it was born in a day. I'm like, you say, yeah, you're not telling all the details. Go read them. Here's the bottom line. It was their land. They had been taken and thrown to the corners of the earth. And yet what God told Abraham was still a promise. The Balfour Treaty was signed giving the foundation for Israel to become a nation again. And Jews started coming back to their homeland. And favor got on the Jews, and nations started recognizing their identity. And in a day, Israel became a nation in one day. It's a miracle. Here's the problem. 
when the Ottoman Empire was in power, people from the region began to flock to Jerusalem and live in the land. Rome called it Palestine. And the citizens of Palestine became Palestinians. And when the first treaty was signed after the first world war that permitted Israel to return to its homeland, the people in Palestine living there became very upset when Israel started showing back up in their land. When Jews moved back to Jerusalem, people started freaking out about occupation. Wars ensued. Battles were fought. This is where people start falling out with me because they say Israel didn't own the land. And that's where I differ. They did. The enemy removed them and God brought them back to it. And the question is not, is it fair? The question is, who does the land belong to? Well, I'm preaching this, and you say, well, it's Israel. I'm not Israel. You are the church. And what it means if God doesn't keep his promise to Abraham is that maybe one day we wake up and God doesn't keep his promise to us. And I'm getting ready to let you go, but I feel something on my neck. I feel the power of God on me right now telling to tell somebody that he is a promise-keeping God. And when the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, and to tear away, and to break apart, and to disrupt the plans and the purposes of God when it looks like the devil has destroyed Israel. You may not feel or care about what it looks like for Israel, but what do you do when it happens in your house? What do you do when your children are torn apart and your marriage is torn apart and your finances are torn apart? What does it say about us when we find ourselves in a situation where we have removed ourselves from the purpose of God? Does it mean that God gives up on us. Oh no, it means he brings us back when we repent and he gives us an opportunity to be restored. Israel Israel is only entitled to the land because God said it was theirs. Israel's not perfect. Israel needs Jesus to save them. And we should pray for that veil to be removed. But while we are waiting the salvation of the Jewish people, they are still his apple of his eye. I rise today to preach this message not to gloat in Israel or to show you how holy and faithful they have been. I rise today to testify of how holy and faithful he is to an unfaithful people. I have preached in that city and been threatened and spat on by Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, mean as fire. I know what a little bit, just a little bit of what that feels like. And you know, I have to check myself because you spit on me, take your life in your own hands. 
Come on, y'all looking at me holy, but I, there's, a, there's a BC Kevin before Christ. Come on. So what do we do with all this? Let me give you a couple of things that we're going to pray. Number one, we bless what God blesses. We do not turn our back on Israel because she has turned her back on Jesus. We bless what God blesses. Uh, Seth, come help me, please. I will land this much quicker if I hear something. Anti-Semitism is akin to the spirit of Antichrist. I didn't say it is. I said it's akin. It's close. When you attack Israel, you don't attack Israel. You attack God. Historically, God has not spared Israel of prophetic warning and prophetic confrontation. I told you earlier, Israel slew the prophets and they crucified the king of glory. And you might say, how can those people still be the apple of his eye? I want to say this to you before I close. Replacement theology is error. Error. What is replacement theology, Pastor? Replacement theology is an arrogant posture in which the church deems itself superior to Israel. And we believe that God has now conveyed and all the promises he made to Abraham and his descendants. We now believe, because we are the church, that God would convey those promises to us and ignore rebellious Israel. That's replacement theology, and it's, it's error. I'm not going to call it heresy, but it's error. If God would replace Israel simply because of their unbelief, he might replace me one day. We are here today talking about this because of promises made and promises that will be kept. I am here today again to laud and celebrate the faithfulness of Yahweh. What is our response to all of this then, Pastor? Well, number one, we're going to help people. There is a crisis, humanitarian crisis in Palestine as I'm preaching today. Lights have been turned off. Food has been choked out. Water has been choked out. People are suffering. I want to say this regarding, oh, Lord, help me with the vocabulary. I want to say this regarding the people who are accusing Gen uh, Israel of genocide. Genocidists and genocidal maniacs don't give warnings 24 hours in advance that they're coming and tell people you need to get to safe cover. Israel is in a very difficult place, you understand. An unprovoked attack that led, the last time I saw the statistics, over 1,400 Jewish people were murdered. In this war in the last, what, 10, 12 days, 3,600 people have been killed. Hostages are still being held in dark places in underground tunnels in the Gaza Strip. You now have Hezbollah throwing bombs and grenades. 
Syria has started their threats, you have this one little New Jersey-sized slither of property with 8.5 million people, 44% who are Jewish, surrounded by enemies, fighting for their life, living on land that everybody wants, but God said it belongs to Abraham and his seed. Devin said it well. The Palestinians are not our enemies. They need our prayers. That entire region needs our prayers. We have, a, we have Palestinian brothers and sisters in Christ. If the Lord allows us to in December, I'm going back to Israel and we'll see where that goes. Right now we're still on go, but we'll just have to keep praying. We're having a pastor's conference. I told you there's something happening there between the Jew and the Gentile. The Messianic Jewish people are coming to Jesus and they're planting churches. And I don't know what you're reading. You're not hearing a whole lot about this. It's exploding. This house helps a number of those pastors. One such was an Ethiopian Orthodox Jew, David Safafa, who had a very successful Legal career, worked for Bibi Netanyahu. Was doing very well with his life until Jesus came to him in a dream. Put his hand on his shoulder and said, David, I love you. You are my son, but you're not doing what I want you to do. What do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to plant a church. In the middle of COVID, he plants a church. It's exploding in downtown Jerusalem. I talked to him last week. He's safe. His children are safe. But he has a number of members who are on the front line of the IDF and they're in a fight. They're running through the streets of Gaza and the West Bank and they're trying to secure a property, fighting with savage, vicious terrorists. Don't you tell me we should sympathize for Hamas. Not this preacher. Zoom in on my face. Not this preacher. You will find no sympathy from me for people who are such cowards. They run and hide behind innocent civilians to save their own lives. That's what we're fighting. David said to me, they're giving warnings all throughout the Gaza Strip for people to evacuate, the innocent to evacuate, and Hamas is keeping them from running for freedom. It's what we're dealing with. And yet we have preachers who are standing up accusing Israel of genocide. You better pray for your pastor. Israel's trying to survive on the land God gave it. Nothing about this is easy because it's a conflict. It's not even a geopolitical conflict, it's a spiritual conflict. Abraham, I'm gonna multiply you bless your descendants and I'm going to write an everlasting covenant with you and I'm going to give you a land holding it's everlasting I'm done with this I really am done with this a Jewish man is coming back to this earth he's got nail prints in his hands and his feet he's not coming to Washington D.C. He's not coming to Cleveland. 
where the headquarters is. He's coming back to Jerusalem. Some of you seen disinterested chickens wait in havoc. Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. He will put his feet on the Mount of Olives. It will split from east to west and a pure river will flow from it. And he will sit on the throne of his granddaddy David and with an iron rod of iron, he will rule the nations. He will. It's gonna happen. Jewish man's going to reign. I'm in a mood now, I don't care. Someone said, well, what color is Jesus? I don't care. to me what color the Lamb of God was. His blood was red. It was the blood of God. He was sinless and spotless and holy. Somebody lift your hands and worship the King of glory. My God, get your eyes off of everything else and get them on Jesus. We're in a conflict that's not easy. I don't want another innocent life to be taken. Israel's trying to survive. Pray for her. Pray that the peace of God dwell within her walls. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for these precious, precious Palestinian brothers and sisters who find themselves in a crisis in which they don't know where to go. Take your neighbor by the hand, please. Lord, you are faithful to keep your promise for a thousand generations. The war that we see playing out is a war, not over just a land, but over a promise. He's been faithful, and he will be faithful. And my prayer for you is that you not get caught up in the feeling of sides. You not entertain the idea that the precious Palestinian people don't matter. The only people that matter are Israel. That's not accurate. And I also don't want you to get caught up in the idea that Israel's no longer significant to God. And they're the problem, that they're genocidist and killing the Palestinians unnecessarily, it's a lie, don't fall for it. Our authority does not rest in who we argue best for, it rests in praying and decreeing and declaring the word of the Lord. For 20 seconds before we give our tithe and offering, pray right now, Lord, bring peace to that region, peace to Jerusalem. Come on, open your mouth and pray. Jesus, help us. Bring peace, bring peace, bring Bring peace, God, bring peace. Protect innocent civilians. Protect them, God. Protect, 
protect Israel as they attempt to, to thwart the land of these vicious, savage, terrorist people. I'm asking you, God, to protect. I pray that the Iron Dome of protection, that the idea that you gave them for, for missile defense, I pray it would work. I pray it would work. I pray it would protect. I just There's all kinds of things that you can do, God. You just, you just have it all, and I trust you to protect that land. You have promised that land to Abraham and his seed. You are a faithful God. And because you are faithful to Abraham, you're gonna be faithful to Kevin and Eric and Erica and to everybody in this room. You've made promises and I thank you that you will fulfill what you said. I want everyone to get your tithing offering in your hand right now before we leave. I know some have left and, and we made sure to confiscate their tithe before they walked out the building. Lift your tithe and your offering up. Some of you want to give to help us in our effort to help Jerusalem and to help Israel and to help that region and the humanitarian crisis going on. You can do that today and just earmark it on your giving. I'm not making a big deal of that, but if you give to help us in that region, we're gonna invest everything you give into that region to help us in protecting and to preserving and to bringing help to those who need it. I want you to lift your tithe and offering up. If you've ever needed to trust in the economy of God, how many know it's right now? I said it's right now. Somebody say amen. I know I've kept you a lot longer today than you're used to going to church, but I'm telling you, we have, we have to know what day and hour we're living in and what's going on. This is not just a political argument. This is a spiritual fight, and God's going to win. I wish I could find a shout in this room right there. How many believe God is going to win? Somebody say amen. Lift your tithe and offering up. Father, bless the people. Bless the seeds they sow and the offerings they give and the tithes that they give back to you. Protect their family, their business, their hands, their house, everything that their, their life has been invested in. I thank you as they put your kingdom first. It comes back into blessing in their life in the name of the Lord. I thank you there'll be no lack in their house and there'll be no lack in this house. We thank you that you provide good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Let men give into their bosom this week. If you receive it, say amen. In Jesus' name, I love you all. Have a blessed week. Come and give. You can give online, give on text, give in the altar, however you want to give. May God bless you. Go in the peace of God. Continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Hey, family, I believe God is touching hearts right now. The preached word of God causes the lost to come to Christ. I believe someone's watching. Maybe you feel a million miles away from God. Maybe you've been in church, maybe you've never been in church. Listen, I wanna tell you that it doesn't matter where you are in life right now, if you want Christ to save you, no matter what you've done, and no matter how long you've been doing it, if you'll turn your heart to Him, He'll save you right now. I wanna lead you in a prayer. Say, dear Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I'm asking you to save me from my sin. Save me from myself. Lord, come in and be the King of my life. I give you my past, my present, and my future. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to rescue me today. In Jesus' name, by faith, I believe that I'm saved and a child of God. Amen. Listen, friend, I know that's a simple prayer, but I believe with all of my heart, salvation is as simple as turning from sin and turning to Christ. If you did that today, I want to pray that God give you a strong Bible-believing church. I want you to go to KevinWallace.tv, learn how the resources that we have can help you in your journey. Listen, we want to pray for you. Drop us a line on the prayer request. Let us know you gave your heart to Christ, and our team's going to be praying for you this coming week. You're going to get stronger. You're going to grow deeper in your love for God. You're going to become everything He put you on this planet to be. 
I'm praying for you. I love you. I'll see you next week. God bless.